Hey, what's going on? Welcome into episode 21 of Tuesdays Are for Talking, a weekly podcast from Mosaic Church in Austin, Texas. I just want to tell you next week on our podcast, we're going to have a very special guest, the executive director of Every Nation Churches, Kevin York. That is one you're not going to want to miss. But today we have for you another staff spotlight edition, and I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Rosalind Smith, our director of adult education here at Mosaic. If you attended church virtually on Sunday, you heard her preach a phenomenal message. And now it's time to go behind the scenes and get to know Rosalind in a whole new way. Without any further ado, let's get into it with Dr. Rosalind Smith. Here we go. Dr. Rosalind Smith, I am so excited to have you on this episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. As you know, we tried to get you in here a few weeks ago, but you had some other, we'll say more pressing things that you had to focus your attention on. And of course, part of that was the outstanding message that you delivered this past Sunday. Thank you so much for doing that, but we are glad that you're here today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. This is fun stuff. I'm excited too. I'm excited too. Okay, so let's just, since the message is fresh right now, what was your favorite part of what you just got a chance to preach? We'll get to your whole story in a minute, but I just want to hear the highlight from the preacher herself. Oh, you know what? I think it was like the tension that I got to build in the the message. Like I never get to preach a message where I'm building like extreme tension, especially like in a time like we are in today. Like you don't know how you don't know how it's going to be received, but when you know like God's giving you that information, like you can't help but be courageous and just say it the way he's given it to you. So it was the tension for sure that was built in the message. Well, you do a great job every time you communicate, and uh, this time is no exception. So thank you for ministering to our church often and regularly and consistently and with high quality. And so we really appreciate that about you. But we'll, we'll get to that in a little while. This is really more of just kind of a get to know you. We want some folks who are friends of Mosaic or family of Mosaic and Mosaic members who maybe don't know you all that well just to get to know you. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. People say where you come from, and the answer is from my mama. But from that point on, tell us just a little bit about your background. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What was your family life like as you grew up? Let's get to know Dr. Rosalind Smith. Here we go. Oh, get into the good stuff. I grew up in Austin, Texas. Like I am the unicorn in the room around these parts. I grew up in the east side of Austin. So like central Austin, it was not the way it is now. Now that's like the hype place to live. It's you know completely different. But that's where I grew up, Austin, Texas. That's where born and raised. My wife is one of those unicorns too. She was born in Austin, Texas and still lives here today. So obviously we're in the we're in the burbs now, like yourself. <laughs> but she's an original. I call her a unicorn too. Yep, that's who we are. So what was your family life like? Tell us a little bit more about any siblings, parents, what your what your folks did. I would just love to hear more about what life was like growing up as you. Yeah. So I I have I came from a family of two parents. I have two brothers, a younger and an older one. They're amazing. So my youngest brother, that was like my best friend growing up and still is today. He's into like, he's the geek of the house. So he's into engineering. Well, he's into, sorry, computers. I'm the engineer. And then my oldest brother, he's the lawyer. My parents also are from Austin. They grew up here. My dad worked at Motorola, like back in the day, it was a, a you know a big company. And then my mom, she worked for the state. And so two parent household, um, lots of church, Monday night prayer meeting, Tuesday night Bible study, Wednesday night choir rehearsal, you know, every day of the week. 
and yeah. That's awesome. That sounds a little bit actually like my household growing up. My my parents were not on a church staff, but they may as well have been. I feel like I grew up in the church. It was we were just there all the time. Exactly. For me, like people ask me, like, when did you get saved? And that's a complicated answer for me because I grew up in the church and I can't remember a time when I wasn't a believer. Now I can point to you a time when I decided I was going to follow Jesus, Mm -hmm. but I can't actually remember a time when I was not a believer in Jesus. How about you? What was your, what was your experience growing up and coming to faith, both sort of as a part of your family and then on your own? Right. Well, I, you know, as I said, grew up in the church. I've loved Jesus all my life. My my mom's very, very strong um, in her faith. I have a grand, my father's mother, super strong in her faith, like one of those prayer warriors. Like you can't catch, you knock on her door, you hear her praying out loud. Like she was always in tune with the Holy Spirit. And that kind of like motivated me to know more about Jesus. And so my mom and my grandmother, both amazing women of God and I grew up in the church, but it wasn't until probably college years that I really just came into tune with my faith in God, just, you know, really wanting to walk out my own salvation, basically. As you were growing up in the church, what kind of things were you involved with? What, what had your attention, your affection? I'd love to hear about what, what made you tick when you were a young one. <laughs> so I was like on the usher board. I was in the choir. I cannot sing. But then I thought I could and I would lead songs. So I I grew up like really in the choir and being a part of, you know, the missionary, the mission team. Uh, Well, it's kind of different. We grew up primitive Baptist. So that mission is different from like what we call missions now. It's like the missionary young ladies or whatever. And it's really just kind of like a group of young girls that kind of just sit around and talk about Jesus. But um, (laughs) this didn't go too far from there. But that's how that's how life was for me, like growing up. I was big into science. I love science. So I went to the Science Academy um, of Austin at LBJ. And yeah, science and Jesus. Science and Jesus. You know, a lot of people think that science and religion are in conflict with each other. And I have never found that to be the case. In fact, the more I investigate the claims of sort of atheistic science, the more I find myself uh, having my faith bolstered and increased. I'm just curious what your experience was like as you dove into science. Did that lead to more doubts and unbelief, or did it reaffirm what you believe to be true just in new and different ways? I've never asked you this question before, so I'm anxious to hear the answer. Yeah, and that's a really good question. So it, I always viewed science as an extenuation of what God has done. Like It's just the manifestation of what mm. God has done, and that's how I try to teach my kids about science. My son is like totally into dinosaurs and and chemistry, physics, all the things. Like he's inventing something every day. And so I really like as he's reading books about astrology and astronomy, like I try to help him understand that those are all just manifestations of what God has done. And so we try to see science through that lens. And that's what I've always um, tried to do. Even like as the body, you know, the body being created even if I read Darwin's books, I, I, I see that through, you're just telling us what God created and, and trying mm-hmm. to see in hindsight how he's developed the, the process. I love that. Dr. Hugh Ross, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but 
he has a ministry called Reasons to Believe, and essentially they exist to use science to prove the reality of God. He's an astrophysicist and has a phenomenal testimony. But anyway, one of his things is that uh, he talks about God has given us two books. He's given us the book of his word, and he's given us the book of science and nature. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and of course, in Romans 1, Paul talks about that no one is, is without excuse because God testifies about himself through creation. He testifies so that no one is without excuse. And so I absolutely love, love hearing that about you and, you know, of course, your kids. So you are a scientist. Talk to us a little bit about your background in that. We'd love to hear how you, how you got from where you, you started in your missionary club, sitting around talking about <laughs> Jesus with the girls to becoming a world-class scientist and engineer of your own. Let's hear that. <laughs> it's funny because, so my, my parents, they did not go to college. So my first like real big like interaction with college was my oldest brother going. And he actually went for criminal justice. And I thought I was gonna go for criminal justice because that's what I knew. But my dad worked at Motorola, as I said, that's an engineering place. And so I did an internship there and then decided I was gonna do engineering. Well, so when I decided to go into engineering, I did electrical engineering. And then um, I went to Texas Tech. I got my bachelor's and master's in electrical engineering. And the, the best part of to me about college was being able to apply what I was learning. And so I worked in the lab. Hmm. And I would work consistently in the lab um, to the point where I was getting scholarships for working in the lab. And that grew my love for engineering. I continued to get my PhD in biological engineering and that's where I developed a biosensor for HIV analysis. Hmm. And so I just adore like engineering and learning about like different things. I think I just adore learning. That's probably the bottom line. And engineering was my avenue to like increase my knowledge about something that I loved and appreciate it. So even though I didn't go into criminal justice like my brother, like I adore what he does. He's so smart. Um, like, and so I, and I get my fix. So I got my, my law fix because since I didn't go into criminal justice by going into intellectual property law, which mm. is a crazy story too. But in college, I was offered a job in intellectual property law. And so going into that helped to kind of, I guess, satisfy that urge for law that I had. So you just sort of slipped in there that you created an HIV sensor. Tell us about that. I want to hear about this <laughs> invention of yours. Oh, yes. Yeah. So for my PhD, I designed a biosensor. It was supposed to be for areas in like sub-Saharan Africa or areas that didn't have access to large like PCR machines that could test the HIV um, particles in people. Um, so it's like a small sensor that ran off uh, batteries and they were liquid core waveguides, so what we call them, that allowed the liquid or the bio um, sample to be entered in and then light reflects off the sample and certain molecules light up so that you could see if the viral particle was there. So that was an interesting part of my life. My, my son, he still goes back and gets my journal to read and see like how I designed what I designed. So they're fun to look at every once in a while. 
That is fascinating. And I could almost feel you like trying to say that in a way that I could comprehend. So thank you for doing that. You're like, how do I not sail right over the top of this man's head right now as I explain this intricate, amazing thing that I created? I appreciate that about you, by the way. I appreciate that you keep, you take people on the journey with you. You really do. And you know, one of, one of the opportunities that I have here on this staff spotlight is is frankly to spotlight just how amazing all of our people are, and um, and so Rosalind, I, I I love that you think in such high places, um, and I love that, and I love to try to try to go there with you when I can. Um, but you care so much about people that it's 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 it literally is visual. Like I can see you thinking and processing. How do I take people with me on this journey? Um, and of course, this is a podcast, but I can see your face right now. And I can almost just see you kind of doing that. Like, how do I tell this in a way that he's going to understand? And, and it's like, I, I watch you minister in so many different ways. And I watch the intentionality in which you just put a lot of care into how can I, can I bring these people with me on this journey? How can I help them along? Um, and I, I love that so much about you because so, so many people that are at your level of intellect, which is quite high, um, they, they don't have the patience for folks who aren't at that same space or don't have that same knowledge or that same understanding. And uh, you demonstrate that on a regular basis in our church with, uh, with our team. And I just love that about you. So th- thanks for being you. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you. That's really nice. So how do you go from biological engineering to patent law? Mm, good question. How do those things connect? So I'm, I'll take you back to being in college. Take working my PhD. <laughs> I was kind of like just working in the lab. Um, I met Brad in college. That's my husband. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I was literally like just working, just trying to get through college, wanting to graduate you know, we're at year eight, nine. And so I was wanting to, you know, graduate and get into the world. And then I got this random call from a law firm in Texas. And they were like, hey, we want you to, we heard about you in engineering. We want you to write some patents for us. I had no idea what patents were. Now, this is a time, like, I'm a college student. Like, money is is an issue. It's not a huge issue. Like, God had blessed me tremendously with work in the lab, but in college, you can always use more money. And so this law firm like literally offers me thousands of dollars to write patents, something I don't know about. So at first they offered me a certain amount. This is a really fun, a crazy cool story. They offered me, they started with like $750. They were like, hey, we'll offer you this. If you write this patent, we'll, we'll show you how to write it. We'll tell you all the steps to take. And so they taught me literally over the phone. I lived in Missouri because I went, my PhD was in um, University of Missouri, Columbia. So they taught me over the phone how to write patents. And they told me to just try it out. And if I just try it out, that they'll send me a check for $750. And I was like, okay. Let me so give I this was, a shot. I know. <laughs> Why not? What's the worst that can happen? I try it. They don't send me the money. Whatever. <laughs> so I tried it. And they sent me the money. And then they call me again. They say, hey, try it again. Here's a new patent. We're going to tell you how to, you know, fix what you did last time, but try it again and we'll double the money. Okay. So they doubled the, they doubled the money. They, and I wrote the patents and then they doubled it again. Like the next time they offered it to me. At this point, I'm moonlighting as a patent agent. Like, is that <laughs> you <laughs> right? are. <laughs> so I would go to class, go to school and then stay up all night and write patents. 
and then I would go to school and go to like just repeat it over and over. At that age, like you can do that. You can live on two to three hours of sleep. Right. And for an extra couple of thousand dollars, like every two weeks, yeah. <laughs> all about it. So that was my story about getting into patent law. And then right before I graduated, Brad asked me to marry him. Just like two days later, that company, that law firm in Texas offered me a job and I had to turn down the job because I was moving to New York. And so they actually offered me a position to work from New York. Like I was the only person that was a remote person um, besides like my work in Missouri. They just allowed me to continue working from New York. So I worked as a patent person in New York with my new husband who was in the NFL. So I had an interesting life. Like once I finished my PhD, it was a whirlwind of everything. That is a whirlwind. So you went from studying bioengineering and now you're in patent law. And again, like the patent work that you were doing is, I assume it's connected to biological engineering in some kind of way, or was it totally distinct and different? It was actually connected to electrical engineering. They were more interested in my bachelor's and master's degree. Okay. So I went into biological engineering thinking that I was going to go into academia and do research. And it just so happened that patent law was more lucrative. And so <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> and so I stayed there. So you mentioned Brad and uh, in, in the NFL and New York, uh, but obviously that all came a little bit later. How did the two of you meet? We met at a church in Missouri. Come on, somebody. So I know. It just so happened that I was telling someone else this story the other day. I walked on Missouri's campus and I was like, Jesus, for you, I live. For you, I die. I don't want a boyfriend. I just want to finish this PhD and get out of here. And that was my my mindset. And then a, f- a friend invited me to church because I had I was new to the area. And so she invited me to church and in walks from the left side of the church, this super handsome guy and she (laughs) leans over to me and I kind of looked like from the corner of my eye and basically rolled my eyes and turned back to the pastor and I was like for you I live Jesus for you I die (laughs) (laughs) she leans over to me and goes that's the star quarterback and so I would literally walk on the opposite side of the church to avoid him I wanted like no parts of that I just wanted to finish my PhD and get out of Missouri so we became friends. Of course you did. <laughs> we became friends. Like the, it was because the pastor had like, they would have college night at their house on Fridays. And so we would just hang out all the college students. And literally we were just friends. I actually did not realize that Brad wanted to like date me until like two years into the relationship. Huh. Like we would go fishing together. And we would go to church. So we'd go to campus Bible study. We'd go to athletics Bible study. We would go to the the Bible study at the church. And I guess he was dating me then, but I didn't know it. (laughs) (laughs) I tell people like the first time that I guess he asked me out, I was outside of the church. I was was fresh out the lab. Like I had spent all night in the lab. I think my clothes were dirty. Like, I know my hair hadn't been washed. I was ashy, Pastor Nathan. Like, it was it was a bad scene. And so I thought him asking me out to get chicken, he was like, hey, you want to go get some chicken with me and my friends? I thought that was him feeling sorry for me. 
And so I was like, yeah, I'll go. And it was a Kentucky Fried Chicken buffet. I did. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> I didn't know he liked me. I didn't and know so, Kentucky Fried Chicken had buffets. I know. And it I'm was delicious. So it was like that today. <laughs> In Missouri, they had a buffet. And we went with, it was his football friends. Again, I did not know he liked me. And I was hungry. And so I ate as much as they ate. When they went to fill up more, I went to fill up more. And like literally eating chicken with my hands because I wasn't interested in anybody. I was just trying to like eat lunch so I can get back to the lab. Little did you know. Little did I know. <laughs> exactly. So like, we just, that was, that was our friendship. It was about two years into the relationship that he called me and he'll tell a different story, but this is how I remember it. He called me and we were, we were friends. We were good friends. And I would like pray for him to have an amazing wife. I was like, God, I want you to give him an amazing wife. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, God, if you ever wanted me to get married and I'm okay, if you don't, I would want someone like him. And so, <laughs> no, I feel like God maybe gave me blinders so that I wouldn't be like all involved in him. But one day, two years, like after we're just friends, he calls me and we're talking about rings. And I was like, who is he buying a ring for? I'm just that like aloof. It's like, who is he buying a ring for? And I'm like, you know, I think she'll like whatever you get. And he was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm talking about us being married. And I was like, we're not even boyfriend, girlfriend. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so that day he asked me to be his girlfriend and we were married like less than six months later, I guess. <laughs> We got engaged, like, let's see, January, and we were married. My mom says 67 days later, we were married in March. That is a great story. I love that so much. (laughs) He was dating you without you knowing it. He was dating me without me knowing. If there's some single men listening to this podcast right now, Bradley might have some some things he could share with you about how you just... You slow, it's, it's, the, it's the slow roll, you know, it's the long play, but it worked. <laughs> he, he was the long game for sure. That is incredible. So you got married. Uh, were, were you were you still in school? It was right, at, right as you were graduating, I believe is what you said, correct? That's right. So it was right as I was graduating. I We got married in March because it was the off season. It was the only time he had off before the season would start again. So you, you would you probably hear, like if you talk to guys that got married in NFL, it's usually about around March. Actually, Chad Pennington and his wife, we both have the same like anniversary date because everybody gets married like in off season. So we got married and then I was still finishing. I had to prepare for my dissertation. So I literally took my book and laptop on our honeymoon so that I could write my dissertation and keep my work going. And then I graduated. I did my dissertation in around April and graduated. Graduated and off you go to New York. And I moved, he, he literally drove, he came down, he flew down, he bought me a new car and filled it up with the stuff that would fit from my house. Everything else we either gave away or threw away. And we drove across the United States to New, to new York. Wow. So what was that like? <laughs> going, going to New York, your husband's playing football, you're, you know, fresh out of a PhD program, newly coined and minted Dr. Rosalind and Smith, all brand new, all at one time. Life must have just been wild for you back then. Yes. We had a pastor back then and he would say, God will do it suddenly. And that's what like 
happened to us. Like everything happened suddenly. It was it was a whirlwind. Like the NFL life is completely different from life in the Midwest. And even like the life in New York City, that type of life is different from the life anywhere else. And so to mm. add the NFL on top of that was insane. Like I was my was my great awakening. I got a firsthand glance at all the different things. Mm. And how long were y'all there? How long did that season last in New York? In New York, that was five years. Five years. So we were a couple of years on Long Island. And then the team moved to still New York Jets, but we moved to Jersey. And people say, people on, New, on Long Island say that Jersey is like Texas. So when I told them that we were moving to Jersey, they're like, oh, you'll feel so comfortable there because it's like Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess they were just referring to the trees. So, yeah. So it's fun. not like Texas. It's not like Texas. No. That's so funny. I've never heard that, but I haven't hung out with a lot of Long Islanders. So uh, maybe that's that's where you got to go to get that comparison. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting life there. We lived right by the train station so we could go into the city and see plays and be on Broadway and see all the things. So it was a really fun experience. Not to mention, like I remember vividly two days and training camp and being able to sit and watch training camp. So they were, they were really fun days. That's awesome. So you guys are five years in New York and what happens next? Oh, let's see. Five years in New York. And then we moved to Buffalo. So there came a time in the NFL where they stopped playing for a year or they had some contract negotiation going on. I forget what it's called, but we ended up staying. That's why we stayed at New York. We had a four-year contract. We, my brother always goes, are you French? Like that was his contract, but we are one. We had a four-year contract (laughs) at New York Jets. And then the fifth year was because of some some negotiation thing that the NFLPA and the NFL were doing. And then we ended up going to, we got a contract in Buffalo, New York. So we moved to Buffalo and that's where like we bought our first house and we were with that team for about two and a half years, I think. And then we moved to Philadelphia. So we were with the Eagles for about two years, for two seasons. So we did like nine years in NFL before he retired, which was a, a good, a good stint because by the time he retired, our kids were like at school age and a good time for us to start kind of making up a, a place to make home, call home, I should say. Yeah. So how did the conversation go? You, you've been up in the Northeast. You, you were you met in Missouri. Brad's from Ohio. How did the conversation go? Hey, Bradley, listen, buddy, we're going to Texas. Tell me about that. <laughs> Not like that, that's for sure. <laughs> and let me tell you how confusing it was for bank people. We were like, no, I'm from Austin. He's from Ohio. Oh, we live in New York, but we went to school in Missouri. Like, people were so confused. Like, how did you meet? So... <laughs> But that's always an interesting conversation. Brad, we, we really, we didn't know where we were going to live. We were in um, Philadelphia and just kind of like praying to see where God, like we re- literally could live in anywhere in the United States. And we just prayed about it. I know that I wanted to be near my family because I hadn't seen them. Like I didn't get to spend a lot of time with them over the last 10 years with being in college. I wanted them to have access to my kids. Really, we just wanted free babysitting. 
<laughs> so I think that's probably why Brad agreed. But we were, literally, we just prayed about it. And one Christmas, Christmas morning, I remember Brad going, we're going to try out Austin. And I was, I was crazy happy because I knew like I would get to see my family more. So, so it was his idea. It was his idea. Yeah. That's Listen, awesome. it, that's not to say that I wasn't like fasting and praying and asking God <laughs> to move on his heart. <laughs> okay. So this sounds like one of those scenarios where like, this is what I want, but he's going to think it was his idea and then it's going to go better for all of us. So that, that's, that's, that's what I'm hearing. Exactly. I've been married a few years. I know how this stuff works. It's easier that way. (laughs) It is. It is. So you come down to Texas, you're starting kind of over new, new life, but in an old place. Uh, and, and with your, your husband and your kids, what was next for you? Were you still doing patent law at that time? So when I moved to Texas, I actually took a break from patent law. When I uh, was in it, so after I had Alex, I should say, after I had Alex, my oldest son now, I literally wrote, sent via email my last patent in while I was in the hospital. I pushed in and I told them that I was taking a sabbatical. And I took a sabbatical all the way from Alex to Bria, which is my youngest daughter. She's six now. When she turned about two, she said, mommy, I want to go to school. She was tired of me already. Alex lasted till like five. She was like, ah, this, this is too, we're too close. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, they want to go back. She wants to go to school now. And Alex wasn't with the homeschool thing. So I decided I wanted to go back into intellectual property law. Where there's this test that you have to, in order to be a patent agent, the laws had changed between when I started patent law and this point in life. And so I needed to take this test. And this test has a 43% passing rate in the world. I'm not good at math, but that doesn't sound very good. (laughs) Exactly. And so I studied for this test, probably 400 hours for this test. I would put my kids to sleep Hmm. and then I would stay up through the night and I would study. This is why we were still in Philadelphia. And then we were having a house built here in Austin. And so I knew like around the date that we would move here. And I applied to take the test here in Austin when we moved here. So I would just study all day. Well, sorry, all night once the kids were asleep. Once I got here, I took the test. At the, and they give you the results like right away. And so I get the results while I'm sitting there. And they have cameras in every little stall where, so that they can see, like, make sure you're not cheating. You have to do fingerprinting, like driver's license, all the things. It's like a secure area. And so I passed the test that comes up on the screen and I start this ugly cry, like the ugly hallelujah, this bad face cry. <laughs> and so I guess the man that was watching thought I failed. When I walked out, he gets the paper out of the scanner, out of the printer, hands, looks at it and hands it to me. He goes, you passed. Like, why are you giving me this? Why are you giving this ugly cry? You passed, you're fine. And I was like, I oh, know. <laughs> <laughs> I was super thankful for, to, to pass that test. So I applied for a position. I went and had lunch with an old boss, with the old, like, um, actually one of the old people that I worked with in the law firm. And he was like, wow, like, it's great to have you back in Austin. So they asked me 
to be a part of their law firm. Their new, it's a new law firm that kind of branched from the old law firm that I worked for. And I agreed, but I agreed not realizing that the other company that I had applied for would want to hire me too. And so I had these two, they're basically, in the, I was an independent contractor. So I could work for both companies. They would just, they get the deals and then I do the work basically. And so I worked for both firms and I would write patents for engineering companies in Austin. And I thought that I would do that long-term. Now, one day I was in my prayer closet and I felt like God said, I want you to consider working for the church. Hmm. There's no position available. Like, I, I mean, I, that, that I knew of. And so I was like, this is like maybe two years after I passed this test, started writing patents, lucrative job, like getting work continuously, great work. I knew it. I was comfortable there. So when God asked me to start thinking about mission or being in the ministry, I was like, yeah, God, for sure. Like when I retire, I'm all yours. I'm thinking 45, 50, age 50, like I would go into work for the church. No problem. I get a call that day saying like, hey, there's a position that's coming open. You should think about it. And I was like, whoa, whoa, God, like this is crazy. Like <laughs> this is a, <laughs> no, that which kind of it blew my mind, which made me take it seriously, like really seriously. Because I knew that I had to leave comfort. I had to leave financial security. I had to leave like easy, easiness for not necessarily discomfort, but a different way of life. I'd work from, I worked from home. I had whatever hours I wanted. I didn't have to, I just had like, you know, you have a month to get this done. So I could work when the kids were asleep. I could go and you know shop all day. I could go to the kids' school. I had a very easy, comfortable life. I could take jobs or not take jobs. And so to like in the middle of things going really well, God say, hey, I, I want you to do something else was kind of startling to me. And I think saying yes to him was the best thing that could have happened to me. I remember the first time I heard that story as you told it you still seem surprised by it yourself. <laughs> yes. I think I'm still surprised. <laughs> you know, because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to a listening ear. It didn't make sense to my parents. I don't think, I don't even think Brad was convinced that like uh, I was all there. He's like, you know, you, you know, you have a PhD in engineering. You don't have to go and take less. Like you can, you can do that anytime you want. But I know what God was saying to me. Like it was so clear. It was so plain. I had to write it down because of how, how clear the voice was. Hmm. And so now you're, you're doing something that in one sense connects to everything you've done. Uh, because I, you know, obviously education has been a huge part of your life. You don't, you don't get a PhD without education just being a huge part of your life. I love what you said earlier is that you're, you're really at the core of all of it. You're just a learner. You're a learner and you found avenues to learn and to apply. And so now you're in a situation where you're serving as our director of adult education. And I love that you're in this role. I love what you have done with the role. I love what you have done with our Grow ministry. Tell us a little bit more about what kind of vision you have for Grow here at Mosaic. Ooh, that's a good 
question. You know, hold on, I'm gonna get my sweet tea and just sit back and listen. I, for a <laughs> no, you know, sometimes I feel like I have hoop dreams. I'm like, let's do Mosaic University. Like, let's go ahead. Let's let's start getting accreditation and get college classes. Like, I I just I love education. I love learning, and I love empowering people. I feel like like knowledge empowers people. Knowledge is. You, like right now, they can't see you, but you have books behind you. And I wish I could sit in that library in Oxford, I think, and just sit and read each book on that shelf. It's empowering. But then also, like, what are we going to do with that knowledge? What are we going to do with that power? And I think that's why I love ministry so much, because you can do something with the knowledge that you're gaining. Even science, like being able to speak the truth of science in ministry, like that is empowering. And I think it helps people connect to God. And that's what this whole thing is about. Education, learning, growing, grow, the courses of grow, that's enabling people to connect with the God of the universe. That's given them knowledge to his insight. That's given him knowledge to what he's created. That's given us knowledge to who he's created us to be. That's all I want grow to be. I want it to be an accessible education for people to learn who they are in God and, and be educated and who he's calling them to be. That's important to me. I'm like, why, why would we sit on the privilege of connecting to the God of the universe? And this is an opportunity. Like, I absolutely love my job because I get to learn continuously. I get to learn from amazing people. Like, it blows my mind how much knowledge you have, Pastor Nathan, about the most random things in the Bible. <laughs> But it's so fun to listen to you. And it, it intrigues me to learn more when I hear you and Pastor Morgan, Pastor Brett talking about so many interesting things in the Bible, different perspectives that I didn't see before. And I think everybody has a gift to hear and see the Bible in a way to connect them, to connect others. Like we all have this ability that God's given us. And that's what I want people to, to understand about grow. It's about us being connected to, to him, learning more about him so that we can empower the people of God. I love that. And th thank you for your kind words. I think one of the things I love the most about it is that we are sort of training and equipping and making space for different people to, to, to share, you know, what they learn and, and what they know. And uh, I think you've done a fantastic job of expanding the people that are teaching and leading and working with folks from all kinds of different backgrounds to bring truth of God's word. Uh, of course, you have helped us along with uh, one of our deacons, Doug White, in pushing Leadership 215 to kind of the next level of course, you went through that the first time. Of course you did. In fact, it was so funny when we first started Leadership 215 and, I, you know, we, we, we rolled that thing out there and I was looking at everybody signed up. I'm like, man, there's all these like how many PhDs and like doctors and lawyers and all these people that have been to school for a million years, they're signing up for a two year program. And, and at first I was perplexed by that. And then, you know, quickly I realized, no, it's because they all love to learn. So here, here's another chance to learn. So we had you in there and Dr. Quinn Smith and, uh, you know, Dr. Green and, and all these people. Anyway, it was just, it was fascinating to see who jumped in to take that. And then of course, little did you know that you would turn around and actually help us to, uh, to significantly improve that, you know, but both with your help and of course, from our broader Every Nation family, all sort of coming together at the same time to, to make some real key improvements. But I, I love that class 
so much. Of course, I'm a part of that as well and help facilitate that. But uh, but your leadership in that space too has really made a difference. And so I, I love that when I hear you talk, what you're doing, and, and again, I appreciate what you said about me, but it's not actually about me. It's about the fact that we have many, many people around who have many, many good things to say. And it's like, you're on a mission to harvest the, all of that, you know, from God's people. What, who are you? What do you have to say? What has God said to you? Okay. Let's, let's vet that and test that and equip that and now go preach that. You know, it's exactly. like, I just see you do that over and over and over and over and over again. So for those of you who are listening, who haven't got involved in our grow classes, you, you definitely, should. And I hope that you're catching the vision uh, that Dr. Smith has for it because it's it's quite an astounding vision. Yes, yes, yes. Love, girl. Love seeing the people there. Love, just love being in the space where people are hungry for God. It's a privilege. It is a great place to be. And th- thank you so much for, for saying yes, you know, to the Lord and saying yes to us. I'm reminded of that fact often. So I was a part of this church for 10 years before I joined the staff. And in a sense, I said yes to the to the staff. In a sense, I said yes to the church. But really, I just said yes to Jesus. And I'm doing what I'm doing, not because there was a job opening that I thought was interesting or anything of that sort, but very similar to you. I was just God made it clear to me through a series of wild circumstances that I won't get into now, but it was like I basically got to the point where I had no choice but to say yes to do this. And I love that you're here by very much the same pathway. You know, we have people who are here because they're called to be here. And I love that you're called to be here. You weren't just someone looking for you know, a way to do something. In fact, you weren't even looking for it. You were looking for the carpet in your prayer closet. You know, <laughs> that's what you were looking for. And, uh, and God spoke to you and you listened. And that is the kind, we need more people like that. We need more people in our church and in our world that meet Jesus with their face in the carpet and then just say yes to what he says to do. 100%. You know, it's not, it's not easy. I don't think he called for it to be easy to say yes to him, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. And he's shown me over and over again how worth it it is to serve him and he's available and i think that sometimes it gets past people that he's available to be heard that's good we prayed out of that this morning actually in our prayer meeting you know yes. i was i was drawn to that early this morning when jesus was at the tomb of lazarus and in the middle of trying to to do this miracle he just stopped and said father i thank you that you hear me that is like my favorite personal hashtag, like you hear me. I was sometimes put at the end of text messages, like hashtag he hears us. It's a mm. privilege, man. It, it actually blows, blows my mind quite frequently that he would care to talk to us, to sit and listen to us. And he hears us and he speaks back to us. So impressive. He does. So I just want to give you a minute just to just just to share your heart and minister uh, to those who are listening, because we've kind of talked about your long journey and we talked about how God has led you in all kinds of different places and spaces and in unique ways and it's sort of brought you to where you are now. But of course, we're in the middle of, you know, a real crisis, uh, really a global crisis, um, certainly a national crisis, but it's a personal crisis, too. You know, uh, what we're dealing with with COVID-19 and then all of the ramifications of that, uh, the separation that people have had from people that they love, the jobs that have been changed or lost or, you know, uh, there's just been an enormous amount of change and impact. And so my guess, uh, Dr. Smith, is that there is a lot of people 
out there right now that are facing some uncertain circumstances, yeah. uncertain about, you know, I think, I believe school decisions are, 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 were due like yesterday and, and maybe in the next coming days from some people, uh, people are trying to decide how and where to work and when to work and, and what to do as someone who has followed Jesus for quite a while now and has found him in the most unsuspecting places like in the carpet of your closet. If you could just just speak a little bit to, to those folks who find themselves in a place of uncertainty right now and encourage them on what maybe their next step should be to find Jesus in the midst of the storm. Oh, that's so good. You know, when I, this morning, like in prayer and reading, what kept coming to me is identity. And I know we hear that a lot, but through the years, for me personally, like my identity could have been caught, attached to any, any one of the things that we've talked about today. It could have been attached to education. It could have been attached to my PhD. Many times, and I saw this over and over again in NFL, identity being t- attached to being a player's wife is what we called ourselves, player's wife. Identity could have been attached to the job that I had. My identity could have been attached to being a stay-at-home mom. But if I would have attached my identity to any one of those things and now being in a place where God is saying, no, I don't want you to do any of that. I want you to do ministry. Like my identity attached to any one of those places would have sent me into a deep depression, a spiral. Even like in the NFL, when, when I saw people attaching themselves to an identity of the NFL and then, you know, waking up in the, the next day and not being on a team, on a team at all, or not being able to play because of being hurt. Like when you attach yourself to that type of identity, you find yourself spiraling down when that, that thing does not conform to what you expected it to, to be. But when we attach ourselves to the identity of Christ, when we attach ourselves to him, when our identity is vested in him, that's what we find our worth, that he calls us worthy. Things, education can't call us worthy. People can't call us worthy. Jobs can't call us worthy. Money can't call us worthy. All of those things, they fade. But when we attach ourselves to the identity of Christ, then a pandemic cannot change who you are, then not being able to, to understand about school and you can't go to prom and you can't go to, you can't play football your final year of school, or you can't do this and you can't do that in life. When you, when you're not attached to that identity of those things and you find your identity in Christ, that's where you can, you can find stability. Everything else is as unstable as water. But when we find our identity, in Christ. And I know that it sounds cliche. I know that people have said it over and over again, but the truth of the matter is that our identity has to be vested in him. Otherwise, we will be shocked when things don't go our way and it will cause us to spiral. So my my plea to anyone listen is to find your identity in Christ. He calls you worthy. He calls you capable. He calls you more than enough. And whatever he wants you to do, he'll provide. He is your provision. 
but allow your identity to be in him and not to the things that he allows you to experience or that he allows you to be educated by or that he allows you to accomplish. Allow it to be vested in him and then allow him to do with that identity what he wants to do. What a great sermonette. I love that. I, I knew if we just put that ball on the tee, you would hit it out of the park, and you did. That was fantastic. That was amazing. That was amazing. Uh, so that that concludes our services today. Uh, we appreciate you coming out to church. Uh, in, in all honesty, that was that was really great. And of course, I, I really did. I, I knew that you would have something to say there because uh, because you always do, and your voice is really really powerful, and it matters. And when you speak to our hearts, you know it's an it's an anointing thing. As much as I love you, and I think you're amazing, the the most amazing thing about you. The most amazing thing about anyone who speaks um, on behalf of the King of Heaven is that His words and His anointing flows through you. And so uh, we could talk about your degree. We could talk about your degrees. We could talk about your accolades. We talk about the things that you've done. But, but Rosalind, the most important thing you've ever done is to just say yes to being a vessel for the Holy Spirit. And so I thank you for, for that. More than anything else, I thank you for being available uh, to the to the Lord, being available to the Spirit of God, and to being willing to open up your mouth and speak when He puts something there, uh, as you just did, and as as you do often. So, thank you so much for for joining us today. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being on our team here. Uh, thank you for laboring and partnering with with me and with others in ministry. It's such a joy and a privilege to be able just to walk alongside you and to to see God using you in a whole new way and to make space for you to grow and to to become even more of what He's called you to be. It really is an honor and a privilege um, to serve you, to lead with you, to walk alongside with you and just to be a brother in the Lord with you. So thank you for who you are and thank you for being on today's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. Thank you so much for having me, Pastor Nathan. This has been great. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. For more information about how to get and stay connected to us, head over to mosaicchurchaustin.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope you'll make plans to join us next week.